This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly Warthog Man Cave. And by golly, we're in the uh, dry spell now. We've been having... Rain dumping on the command center here. And we thought for a while here we might have a problem getting our Internet out, but we're okay and uh, we'll be fine. So uh, um, let me get myself on the screen here a little bit. There we go. And uh, we're ready to go. Well, we are in the Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Melvin Law Studio, which is um, – the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators. And we're protected 24-7, as you know, 365 by crime prevention. And look at all our great sponsors and patronize them. And we appreciate our donors. Well, well, well. Um, we call a day. I've sort of picked up on this. Um, I kind of like it. Maybe it'll work for you all. Maybe not. Odds and ends Friday. I just sort of meander through the world. And uh, sort of let whatever comes up, come up. I don't have any particular plan, organization. It just things that interest me, particularly the odd things. Um, that really is the word that I'm emphasizing in odds and ends, is the odds. And the first thing I want to start off with, I guess, is um, an odd thing. An odd thing and a sad thing in many, many ways. And it's a local story. I don't know if you know where this house is. But it's called the Purple Palace. By the local kind of uh, jock aficionados and people who keep track of the football world. Purple and white are the colors of Gainesville High. And Gainesville High has had a lot of great high school players over the years. Uh, I once coached there, and we had the great Eddie McShann at the quarterback. So there have been many, many good players come through there. I'd have to look high and low to find one, let's use the word, who capitalized on his athletic ability as a football player as much as Clinton Portis did. Clinton Portis was a standout Gainesville High School running back. He went on to the NFL and signed a $45 million contract. You heard me. 
And this was back in the day when even then it was a big contract. Now, he didn't go to the University of Florida. He went to the University of Miami. It's not all that unusual story. We do, we do have quite a few players who go out of Gainesville High and go to Miami. We've had that over the years. So the Purple Palace is 8,000 square feet. And it's out off County Road 225 near Gainesville Raceway. And you can't miss it because it's purple. Now, I know there are houses painted all different colors. Purple's not one you generally see. Particularly an 8,000 square foot mansion. But be it as it may, it is purple. But it is about to be auctioned off. Clinton Portis is bankrupt. $45 million gone. Gone. There's roughly 1.6 million in unpaid principal interest in, in insurance and taxes on this house. It's upside down. The home, according to the Gainesville Sunset, was originally scheduled to be auctioned off on June 30th, 2022. But a bankruptcy filing by probably what's a friend who's a friend of Portis. Don't know that for sure, but a guy named Hearn. Um, forestalled the auctioning. Now the most recent bankruptcy filing by Portis lists more than $2.5 million in unsecured claims, including a million-dollar deficiency, $390,000 owed to the IRS, and a $287,000 debt to the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, where he liked to apparently gamble. This guy is a two-time pro bowler. With a $45 million bag of coins, and he had a nine-year NFL career. A nine-year NFL career. Of course, he blames it on his financial managers. I've got to say there has to be some truth to this. This happened to Fred uh, um, Taylor at Jaguars, taken advantage of by, and it was a minority financial advisor 
I mean, you can go all the way back to Joe Lewis being taken advantage of as a heavyweight champion. My father used to always decry the fact that the IRS came after Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis was never out of hock. I sat two rows away from Joe Lewis in 1976 at the Muhammad Ali Ken Norton fight in Yankee Stadium. I felt as if I were sitting next to a huge legend, which I was. Never got out of hock. Clinton Portis. I think this is odd. He even said he sat in his car with a gun outside a building where the guy who ripped him off worked and was going to kill him. He says he owes his mother 500000 He owes 412000 in child support payments. And at the time, he had a monthly income of $7,500. But he had monthly expenses of 12800 Those numbers don't work. He was also involved, as were some other guys in the NFL, in healthcare fraud. He was charged with stealing nearly $100,000 by filing false reimbursement claims for medical equipment through the NFL's Gene Upshaw NFL Player Health Reimbursement Account Plan, which is a fund used to help retired players pay for medical expenses. He got out of that in a hung jury, pled guilty as part of a deal, and spent six months stacking time in the federal jug and six months house arrest. Now, here is a guy I don't know this for a fact, but I bet it's pretty close to true. Made more, well, had a bigger contract. coming out of Gainesville High School than any other kid ever had coming out of Gainesville High School. So he even got a job in the middle of all this. I guess Snyder was the owner at that time, letting him roam the sidelines of the Washington, what was then Redskins team, As an announcer. Now, this guy played on the undefeated 2001 national championship team from the University of Miami that was considered one of the best college teams in college football history. Rushed for almost 10,000 yards. I start out, that's the odds and ends. I think that's odd. The phone line is open, by the way. If any of you have something odd on your mind, give a call. The phone line number is 352-707-9101. I'd like to listen to what you think is odd. 
I'm not taking these in any particular order, by the way, but I think it's odd. Fundamentally, at the bottom of the whole issue, that a president, any president, but of course we're talking about Trump, can be accused of mishandling classified information when we know, as Holman Jenkins wrote a while back, any and every president's head 24-7-365 is filled with classified information. For one thing, he has daily classified briefings. He doesn't need documents. Yet he's accused I guess, of leaking that which is written down. Well, how about that which is in the head? And he classifies and declassifies these things. Apparently, what the government is using, and I think this is odd, that when they asked for them back, he stiffed them and didn't give them back. He resisted the government's efforts to reclaim the documents. As nearly as I can determine, that is what this character, Smith, the prosecutor, working under Garland, of course, is hanging this on. But we know that's not really what it's about. This is a at least a seven-year battle between Trump and the intelligence agencies who are out to get him. Because they were being used, documents show this, <clears throat> of the Democrat Party. This is the real story. It's so odd. I mean, isn't it odd? That even the people can see it? What the government's up to? But the question is, can the people doing about it? If you've got corrupt intelligence and corrupt F, uh, department, FBI, Department of Justice, well, what can the people do about that? Particularly, when the intelligence agencies are complicit in sending around 
fake Russian intelligence that the head of the FBI used to justify investigations. And by the way, Clinton, we know that story. Isn't that odd? I mean, I think that's really odd. Really odd. According to Michael Beshaka, who's a senior attorney, Judicial Watch, a president chooses what records to return or keep, and the National Archives can't do anything about it. The Presidential Records Act allows the president to decide what records to return and what records to keep at the end of his presidency. And then he goes through a series of things that Bill Clinton did. That the archivists never got their hands on. There were 79 meetings, the Clinton tapes, wrestling history with the president, with Bill Clinton between January 20th, 1993, and January 20th, 2001, that preserved thoughts, Clinton's thoughts on issues he faced while president. Um, There were issues about withdrawing troops from Somalia, North American Free Trade Agreement. Military involvement in Haiti. The National Archives and Records Administration, according to Mashika, was never given the recordings. According to Mr. Branch, who recorded them, he said that Clinton kept them hidden in his sock drawer to keep them away from the public, and he took them with him when he left the office. When they tried to get them back, a judge, Amy Berman Jackson, said, the president is completely entrusted with the management and even the disposal of presidential records during his time in office. According to this writer, senior attorney at Judicial Watch, the government should lose its case against Trump. If it doesn't, then according to this recording attorney, you need to go back and get all the stuff 
that all the presidents did not turn over. I find that most odd. Most odd. I assume you do too. But what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I'm, I think the people know it. If you want to read this anal- analysis, it's called Clinton's Sock Drawer and Trump's Boxes. It's in the Wall Street Journal, June 14th. Today, uh, two days ago. I think it's really odd. Really odd. But then this is the, that's, this is the country now, I guess. I guess this is where we are. Here's another odd thing. I'm just going to throw that. I say I'm taking these things up in no particular order. This odd thing. Garth Brooks. Now, let me just say up front, I'm not a Garth Brooks fan. And you can take issue with me. That's fine. I don't consider Garth Brooks to be country music. If I want to listen to country music, I'll listen to Willie's Roadhouse. I'll listen to Tom T. Hall. Gene Watson. Mickey Gilly. Merle Haggard. I don't listen to Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks, though, is a country music, quote unquote, if that's what you want to call it, titan, big money maker, got his own bar in Nashville. And he stuck his boot in his mouth. Breitbart covered this. He called. the people who criticized him for continuing to serve Bud Light is Nashville Bar. A-holes. I will, I'll, I'll, it's a family show. A family show, so I won't say the whole word. Call them A-holes. Or disliking his decision to serve Bud Light in his Nashville Bar. And Buddy, the country people, came back on him big time. He's seen a sharp decline in sales and patronage at his bar. He's tried to counter by saying, well, we serve every brand of beer. And then he says, I want you to be a, when you come to my place, I want it to be a place you feel safe in. I want it to be a place where you feel like there are manners and people like one another. So we're going to serve every brand of beer. We just are. And then he said, if you don't like it, there's a lot of other bars on lower Broadway. 
And then he says, diversity and inclusiveness, that's me, that's always been me. And then he says he loves diversity. He's always been inclusive. And he's going to serve Bud Light. Well, there was, I knew there was a reason why I was not a Garth Brooks fan. I knew there was a reason why. I mean, this had to be. And there you are. It's a smoking, quote, no pun intended, a smoking gun. we got five minutes before um, we get into our weather. I had a little bit of odd thing there. It's a little bit too long to go into. Paul, if you got something on your mind. Three five two seven oh seven ninety one oh one. I find it odd also. And always have found the Gainesville City Commission to be odd. Populated in 19, by a 1947 UFO landing by the Lake of the Stupids. How they've gone back and forth on what to do about the homeless and the hungry. So I guess Grace Marketplace, they're going to keep, they're going to fund it again. And kick the can down the road. I'm curious about why they don't enforce the panhandling ordinance, which I thought they had in this community, that you couldn't stand out there by traffic and buy your wares. It was dangerous. But I don't, you know, people say, was a law? There's only a law if you enforce it. And that, that law obviously isn't enforced. Don't you? I see them all over town. Sanctuary City. It's so declared, but how low can you go? Bowtie Pope, who's not in office anymore. So meanwhile, they put the money back. After they took the money out. It's kind of a, it's a strange group of people. And you have to wonder how they make their decisions. Because the bill is on the governor's desk now. I mean, there's a drum roll. He hasn't signed it yet. To create the governing body for GRU. He hasn't signed it yet. And I don't know whether that's deliberate or it just got there. A little bit odd. But we'll see. All is well and ends well. We'll see. When I come back, I got some more odd stuff. Or give me a call. 
Ward Scott and Ward Scott Files, the Warthog Command Center. Be right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Oh, a warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Well, Ward's Weather Report by brought to you by Lewis Oil, Fossil Fuel, Gasoline, Chevron Stations. Patronize Wendell Lewis and the Lewis Oil. <clears throat> well, 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 we had a good rain, a lot of storms come through here, and, um, you know, a lot of lightning, but we dodged the lightning, we dodged tornadoes, so we didn't run into that. But the, according to AccuWeather, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the tropics are uh, stirring up a little bit. There's a tropical wave that's just come off the west coast of Africa into the tropical Atlantic. The National Hurricane Center saw this yesterday. Now, right now, this tropical wave is 4,000 miles from the east coast of the U.S. So there's a long way for it to go before it should impact this part of the world. But in a forecast released Thursday morning, 
is expected to begin its trek across the Atlantic. And the environmental conditions are conducive for a gradual development of of this system as it moves generally westward to west-northwestward at 15 to 20 miles an hour across the eastern and central tropical Atlantic during the early to middle part of next week. Now, if it becomes a named storm at this time of the year, it would be, according to the experts, an unusual event. Systems that have been named at this time of the year over the Atlantic are pretty rare. But if it gets its name, it will be Brett, B-R-E-T. So a tropical wave is an easterly wave in an elongated area of relative low pressure that moves from east to west across the tropics. tropics. Um, the west of the system is often good weather. To the east, though, is usually cloudiness and heavy rain. So it'll be watched, and it could evolve into an organized tropical system. If you know what we mean by that, we mean Florida can often be in the way, can it not? Got a funny story for you. It's odd, but it's not so odd. I don't know if you know what a Rubik Cube is. I'm sure there's a few geniuses on here who can work them. I've never tried them. I'm not smart enough to do it. But we got a little video here we'll run of a 21-year-old kid. Notice he is, he's a person of color, but he's an Asian, I would suspect. He's a 21-year-old who broke the Rubik Cube record Sunday using his lightning quick brain. Now, I have looked up Rubik Cube records, and this kid by far takes the prize, according to the Guinness World Records. Three... Uh, 0.13 seconds, I think, is what he did it in. Um, The previous record was 3.63 by a Chinese fellow. Huh? So, the interesting thing about this young man is he's been diagnosed with autism. And that his working cubes like this has been good therapy for him. There was a time, his parents say, when he couldn't even open water bottles. But he showed an interest in solving Rubik cubes. And you watch this kid solve this one. Let's run it, production. Maybe a couple times.
<laughs> oh, golly. Can you believe it? I mean, that's something else. I have, Even Jody Davis couldn't do that. And Jody Davis is a genius. Uh, my good buddy here. Uh, I, I, I bet Jody even couldn't do that. Huh? Isn't that something? I had to show that to you. I think that's, I, I don't think, it, well, it's odd, but I think it's cool. I mean, it's really, really cool. Oh, boy. Can you believe it? Wow. <laughs> Here's something that's odd. Epoch Times has covered it. You know, these trans this and trans that stuff, it never ceases to be weird. <laughs> there is a biological... Now, I hadn't heard this version of this whole stuff. There's a biological male. Okay, you ready for that? I mean, it's on the birth certificate. You know, he's got male equipment. And in the genes and all that stuff. He's been admitted to the Kappa Kappa Gamma on-campus women's sorority house where she (laughs) is using the female pronoun. She lives at the University of Wyoming. Now, I got to go back and look at that again. A biological male is admitted into Kappa Kappa Gamma the on-campus women's sorority house. Okay. This male member has free access to areas where men are strictly banned, traditional men. That includes hallways, lockless bathrooms, and changing areas. The women, the regular women in the sorority, were shocked and caught off guard. Look at this. By the six foot two, 260 pound, Artemis Langford, who's 21, and here comes the important verb, identifies, identifies as female, and now has unfettered, it's a neat word, unfettered access to the girls' only quarters of the second floor. Now, witnesses have reported seeing him in the common area, not studying for hours, sidling in and standing silently in the corner of the room while the women change. He becomes apparently visibly aroused, mind and body, Get this, reacting as a man while watching them. Because his distinctly, oh God, male response, boy, how delicately written that sentence is, his distinctly male response was visible through his leggings. Sometimes while he's watching the women, he keeps a pillow on his lap. Now, I mean, just stop there for a moment. Is that not odd? I mean, just stop. I stop. Is that odd? (laughs) 
The women have spoken about these awkward moments, according to Epoch Times. Uh, Artemis, uh, Artemis Langford allegedly photographs them during sorority slumber parties, repeatedly asking questions of them about female body parts. And the women have found it weird and gut-wrenching to be around him. So consequently, this makes sense to me. Quite a few Kappa Kappa Gamma members have left the sorority. Oh, God. Oh, God. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. There you go. There's a lot more to the article, but, you know, I just can't. I've covered, this is all, by the way, in the name of, do you know what this is in the name of? Inclusiveness. Inclusiveness. You could have guessed it, right? Find this kind of interesting, odd. You've heard of it. Reparations for slavery. Okay. You know, out in California, oh God, I got an article here about it. You know, the numbers are just crazy. But Jason Riley in his article up in his column, Upward Mobility, being a very bright man and a black man is able to say things that a white guy couldn't say. And he doesn't like this idea at all of reparations. And he starts his column by quoting a hit 2002 movie, a comedy called Barbershop. And in this movie, one of the barbers, because they're always hanging out in barbershops, shoot the bull, is quoted as saying, we don't need reparations. We need restraint. Don't go out and buy a Range Rover when you're living with your mama and pay your mama some rent. Uh, According to Jason Riley, those lines came from Ricky. The movie was an all almost entirely black cast. And it was set in a clip joint on the south side of Chicago. And in this clip joint, Ricky and his fellow barbers, according to Riley, engage in freewheeling nonstop banner with customers. And Ricky in the movie was responding to a small time crook who had said that ancestral slavery had ruined his whole life and was responding to another customer who suggested that black people demand reparations from the government. 
Now, in the movie, another barber, an old-timer named Eddie, sides with Ricky. And Eddie says, we've had welfare and affirmative action. Is that not reparations? When another customer says that he thinks each black American is entitled to at least $100,000, Eddie responds, what do you think that's going to do? That ain't going to do nothing but make Cadillac the number one dealership in the country. Now, Riley said he watched this movie 21 years ago in a Brooklyn theater full of other black people. And everybody in the theater howled at the honest conversation. that went on in the barbershop. So Riley's point is, what is so... I agree with him. California, one of the oddest, oddest places in the world, was never a slave state. New York outlawed slavery in 1827. All the slaves and slaveholders are long gone. And furthermore, as Riley points out, in the antebellum South period, period in the South, the vast majority of whites didn't own slaves. Yet, progressives insist that there is a direct link between the past mistreatment, which is not always so, by the way. That's another fallacy of blacks and black outcomes today. But, Riley points out, and this is true, Chinese and Japanese Americans were also mistreated in the U.S. They were in internment camps forced to attend segregated schools, denied property rights. And Riley is quick to point this out. Yet today, Asian, both Asian groups, Chinese and Japanese Americans, and we know this, we've been covering this story, outperform not only white Americans academically and economically, but black Americans. Particularly, the culprit, according to Riley, is President Lyndon B. Johnson subsidizing counterproductive behavior that took a huge toll on the black family. He writes, reparations can't solve those problems. Because, as we've been talking about here, 
Those problems are a result of cultural deficiencies. Government-imposed wealth redistribution won't do the trick. In fact, according to Riley, it will only make race relations worse and will encourage blacks to continue seeing themselves primarily as victims who have no control over their lives. Amen, brother. Isn't that odd? That a white guy can't say that. Guess what? Jason Riley can. The guys in that barbershop can. Think about it. No calls, nobody calling in. Okay, be that way. Hurt my feelings. Hurt my feelings. This is an interesting story, and I don't know. It is odd, but it's pretty interesting. You may have already heard about it. The four children in the Amazon who survived for nearly six weeks after a plane crash that killed the adults they were with. These were indigenous, and I'll probably not say this tribal name right, Huitoto children who were aged 13, 9, 4, and 11 months. A bag of flour, and they're already knowledge of the jungle help them survive. When the plane crashed, they took out of the wreckage a bag of flour. The flour was from a type of yucca that is commonly eaten in the region. And they lived on that until the flower ran out, and then they began to eat seeds from plants they were familiar with. The eldest child, age 13, used the knowledge of the jungle that had been taught to her by her grandmother. She built a camp in the wilderness, using hair ribbons and found other safe food for his siblings. They set up little camps. They knew what fruits they could eat 
because there are many poisonous fruits in the forest. And she knew how to take care of the baby. When these children were found, they were dehydrated and ravaged with bug bites. But other than that, they were in good shape. They were found three miles from the crash site, 40 days after the Cessna single-engine propeller plane crashed because of a mechanical error, which killed the children's mother and the two other adults on board. About 150 soldiers with dogs and volunteers from the indigenous tribes who historically have had adverse relationships with the military joined forces to search for the survivors. It is really rather an interesting story, an odd story, a story with a happy ending. And in effect, the jungle saved them because they were children of the jungle. Most interesting, most interesting and odd. The Supreme Court is going to rule sooner or later on the following issues. We've talked about them already. Affirmative action. Student loan cancellation. Freedom of speech versus LGBTQWXYZ rights. Independent state legislators and the issue of gerrymandering. I always want to point out to you that that's Gary, G-E, not Jerry. Gary Manry. It's going to be interesting how that works out. Well, we've done no precipitation for the last 60 minutes, so I think we're out of the woods there in terms of water. I want to conclude with a story about Nick Kyrgios. You may not know him, but he's a hell of a talented tennis player. But he had to spend time in a psychiatric ward following his loss in the Wimbledon 2019 because of suicidal thoughts. He checked himself into a hospital in London to figure out his problems after he lost to Rafa Nadal four years ago. And he couldn't take it. Ended up in the psych ward because he was drinking, abusing drugs, and he was deteriorating. He has returned to the tour. I just watched him yesterday. He was out of shape. He was not in good competitive condition. But he's enormously talented. And we'll keep an eye on him. He, uh, Is very self-destructive. 
He's either even self-destructive on a tennis court. But he is so good that if he could apply himself, and he says social media is part of the problem. They receive constant criticism from people out on social media, these people do. Particularly now that this Russia-Ukraine thing is going on. So anyway, that was odds and ends Friday. Hope you got a little bit out of it. We hope you have a great weekend. Warthog Command Center out.